you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. So nice to be here in the warm, cozy south. You know, I don't know if you heard some of these uh, shows, if not all, are taped. And so uh, if anybody wants to, if they get this CD and this live performance, they should, if they want to listen back and they want to relive the experience, I suggest that they get three fans, really big fans, a small chair, open the freezer, open the refrigerator, put their feet in a bucket of ice, put their headphones on and let it rip. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the jump. Mr. Boom Gasper! You can call me L, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast i hope you are bundled up in some cozy room somewhere in your bed because this is gonna be a cold episode it's gonna be a chiller now it's weird because you probably have read the episode description and have seen that we are covering birmingham alabama today and going into this I didn't think that the second coldest show in Pearl Jam history would have been in the Deep South. Never in a million years. This is an April show, and obviously anybody that is in a northeastern, northwestern, midwest area would know that, yeah, it's still pretty cold in April. But you would think that around April, like down where John is in Georgia, would start to get a little warmer. Oh, don't don't make me mention the blizzard of 87 when we got like a foot of snow in April. <laughs> I'll share a funny story when it comes to that a little bit later. But yeah, it's interesting because that's not the spot that you would think of when it comes to this. This was also a show that had a venue change and that didn't sell very well in tickets. And there's stuff to we can add on additionally to that. However, 22 songs, and we get a nice little guest from our friend Tasker Hewitt that requested this episode through Patreon, who's going to come on, talk about it a little bit. So we got a pretty good episode ready for you guys. There's a lot to talk about. Let's do it right now. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. 
Yeah, that uh, that big snowstorm of '87, huh? Right. That's... Yeah, I was in school, and I remember. Yeah, in April, it, we got about a foot of snow. I think it's still. I think it's the biggest snowstorm I've ever seen in my life. I mean, up in Syracuse, we got a foot of snow during breakfast. Sure. <laughs> like, and and granted, this season hasn't been too bad so far. Moving up here in early December. I thought by now, oh, yeah, we'd have one storm. It might be coming this weekend. It might have already happened by the time that this is released. It's been reported that it could be anywhere from three to seven, then it's fluctuated from one to three. So, you know, depending on how the lake is feeling that day, that's where we'll be sitting. But not to get off subject or anything right there, I do want to tell a quick story about, because this is just funny, about somebody that I used to date from Texas and her sister had a story about how there was frost and her car got iced up. And because nobody carries around like scrapers in Texas, because nobody's expecting it to even be cold in Texas, that she had to go and scrape her car off with a jewel case, a CD jewel case. Hmm. It's resourceful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's very clever, and that's kind of in a nutshell how really the South is prepared for cold weather like this. And we've done this episode before. The coldest show in Pearl Jam history still stands to be the Ice Bowl. I think it was thirty-three or thirty-four degrees. It's one of those. And then this night in Birmingham. In 2003 was 40 degrees around the time that Pearl Jam took the stage. That's pretty cold. No one wants to see a band in that cold of weather outside. And like you said, like they specifically route these tours to avoid cold weather like this. There's a reason they don't do a lot of touring in December and January. Or if they do, it's it's in Australia and New Zealand when it's summertime. They go out of their way to avoid this. And it, and it works 99% of the time. You just got surprised here. I mean, remember, they did a Calgary show in December, and that kind of bit them. That was a big snowstorm. That didn't fill the building, but it's still a a really fun show, that one. Yeah, what's interesting is that it wasn't always necessarily meant to be this way because the original location that they were supposed to be at, the Birmingham Arena, BJCC, I believe it's called officially, Mm -hmm. that was a higher capacity place. And Pearl Jam didn't sell very well there. Very, very low on ticket sales, which around the same time, I can't remember, it might be the day before this Birmingham show took place in New Orleans, they were originally supposed to play at the Smoothie King Arena. That's where I believe the, well, at the time, I guess the Hornets? I don't even know if the Hornets were in New Orleans at the time, but the Pelicans play there now. And... They had to switch because they couldn't sell tickets there. They had to switch to the UNO Lakefront Arena, which we talked about a couple weeks ago when we did that 1993 show. Very, very legendary show. So this is kind of uncharted territory and maybe a little bit of insight into, I hate to say this, but why they don't go back down there and why you might not have gotten a show in Atlanta. And I think Atlanta would do just fine. I don't think that Atlanta wouldn't sell out at all. 
I, especially right now, I think a lot of people would travel to go to Atlanta. But a lot of people say, why don't they go to my hometown? Why can't they go here? Why can't they go there? And I think they just want to make money. They just want to make sure that they have a sellout and not have to deal with a situation like this. And granted, 2003 is a different time than 2024, yes. but but still, yeah, you have guarantees in Madison Square Garden and Philly and Chicago and those places. You don't have a guarantee. Oh, yeah, in the arena, they probably would have, and that may be why. But, I mean, the guarantees depend on lots of different things. But, yeah, I mean, 2003, we sometimes forget in hindsight, but a very different time in this country like i can see that you know the backlash against you know freedom fries the dixie chicks george bush you gotta kind of get back in that frame of mind when you think about this and pearl jam supported dixie chicks for sure they were very outspoken and maybe that had something to do with it perhaps it doesn't help that they are outside of their prime here. Riot Act wasn't considered a nationwide success. That it's actually maybe one of their worst selling records. I think and had a either. radio single in years and years and years. Right. They just weren't on the forefronts of everybody's mind. When you think of rock and roll in 2003, that is like prime new metal area where bands like System of a Down would sell out and Mudvayne. And even going back to like Lincoln Park, those were the kind of bands people wanted to see. And they can go and tour everywhere and sell out. Pearl Jam was kind of in that weird territory of they're not a legacy band just yet, but they're not doing anything that anybody is seeing in real time. So they would just be going to the concert just to see a band. And yes, if you are on a specific side of the political spectrum, down in Alabama, maybe some of the stories that you might hear about them or whatever bullshit that happened in Denver would detract you. It happens. But that's how it all kind of went down. They had to switch the venue, and unfortunately, unfortunate situations happen and transition to other unfortunate situations. But with this being a 40-degree show... They still pull out something really cool. They still pull out a good one. So thankfully, we're going to talk to Tasker right here. We're going to run his interview from his profile. And he was there, and he can kind of give us that experience of what it was like in the cold and kind of what the whole night was like. Because, you know, different show. They didn't sell a lot of seats, so everybody was kind of packaged in one area. I'll let him tell all that. But it's... Interesting, this is not something that's very common, especially for any time after 2003. So let's get to running this, hear what Tasker has to say. I think we're going to start out right away. He's going to talk about how damn cold it was. Oh, my Lord. It was probably low 40s. I mean, y'all know it was originally scheduled for an indoor show. Yes. And But early April in Birmingham, you know, you can kind of go back and forth with the weather, but this cold snap came through and it was windy and it was freezing. Tasker, I I went and looked at the weather through a a weather history website and it was right at 40. It was 40 degrees at nine o'clock around the time that they probably went on. Yeah. Oh, it was freezing. But even though it was so cold, a few people that I had talked to around the time 
that were also going to the show, everybody was so excited that it gotten moved to Oak Mountain from the Birmingham Civic Center because it's such a great venue for any music that's out there. You know, it's open air. The acoustics are amazing. You don't get any of the, the echoing and it's not a huge place. And when they hit the stage, you could just hear everybody. Not that, you know, it was a smaller crowd, but everybody who was there really wanted to be there. I don't think there were a whole lot of casual fans there that night. Yeah, that's what it seemed. And I think reading stuff in hindsight, it seems like a lot of people probably weren't there because of the cold. And we know that the arena didn't sell very well. And that's why they had to move it here to a smaller venue. I don't believe in this take, but there are some places and memories saying that it could have been a little political due to what happened in Denver, I suppose. But I such a little tiny grain of salt with that. I just don't think that enough people, especially then, that would be that affected by it. But you talked about it being a small crowd. Now, what they did was they sent everybody down to the bottom, I believe, where nobody was in any of the actual seats. So what I want to know is, were you in the seats originally and had gotten sent down or were you always supposed to be on the floor? No, it, and it's the way that it, it's set up there is the seats come pretty close to the stage and they remove a lot from the front. Because everybody had reserve tickets at the BJCC, they made the Oak Mountain Show general admission. And so the first... I guess kind of the floor plus the first three or four row, rows after the floor all were reserved for 10 club. I didn't get all the way down to the floor, but I got in seats that were only a few rows back. So, I mean, up freaking close. I was over kind of on the stone boom side and just had a great view the whole show. But I wish that I had gotten up there all the way. What do you remember from the performances from that night? That they didn't take a lot of time between songs. It was like they had a plan and, you know, it may have been because they were cold and they were, they were wanting to not be out there any longer than they had to, but that they sounded tight. And like I said, the lack of probably maybe casual fans there, but just the crowd was into it. You could hear everybody singing and just the kind of the excitement of, of being in a place and being cold, kind of getting into that mentality of we are all in this together. And the band seemed like they were having a lot of fun on stage and not a whole lot of stories. It was kind of just in song to song to song. And if you listen to the first, I guess, three songs, it was just fast paced, just one into the next to where it almost like got hit in the face. It was coming at us so fast. Yeah. Outside of those first three, the next three actually intrigued me just as much, which is even flow into daughter and the better man. And my thought of that was, you know, cold night. And if you play like all riot act songs in there, maybe do you lose your audience a little bit? So to get everybody to feel warm, you play warm songs where everybody can jump up and down and sing and not worry about how cold it was. Was that something that was that a mentality you were going through? No, I think it's a real good take. I mean, you, you look at it, those three together and how well they fit together that night, but it was kind of the first three was that hit in the face. And it was like, okay, this is happening. And then the next three was keeping everybody pulled in to where everybody really was engaged. And talk about three songs that people are going to sing along with. You know, Mike had a killer solo on Even Flow. And, but yeah, Eddie had a little story in between Thin the Black Circle and Even Flow and then just went right into it. 
as the night went on, did the vibe kind of change in the crowd? Did it turn into like, okay, it's cold and we need to wrap this up? Or did the vibe kind of stay the same? Did you notice anything of like, because later on, like it's a very quick encore one, a very quick encore two, and then they do the famous one note to end the show. Did you get the feeling that like, okay, we've got through this and now we just we just need to get out of here? Maybe a little, but, you know, and if you, if you go back and listen to it, you can kind of hear the booze at the end because we didn't want it to stop. We were all ready for more out there. It had been a set list where they played every song really well. And when you heard Yellow Ledbetter come on, I was like, oh, this is going to be it. And then the one note, and it was like, oh, that's it, really? But from the crowd perspective, it was very much a, a give us more. You know, in the moment, I don't remember thinking that, oh, they're just wanting to get out of here or anything like that. Because I felt like it had been a really, we had had a great time. It felt like it was a really good show. There were several times where a lyric would be changed here or there, kind of like going back to the Dueling Banjos thing to really tie it into where we were. On Wishlist, he said something about shining off your tractor's hood and called us, I think, Alabama. Alabama. Right. So, you know, it was a lot of fun. And then the little uh, Sweet Home Alabama tag at the end of Yellow Ledbetter also. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to give it all up now for a conversation that we're going to lead into at the end of the episode when one note sure. comes up, but they didn't make a joke previously to that. It felt so random and out of the blue that it almost did feel like they were messing with you guys in a weird sort of perverse way. Almost like yeah, a little, little bit of poking, but I will say I, one of the things that I do remember about coming out of that is feeling how like that had been a show it was just for us and a lot of what they did couldn't be replicated anywhere i felt I like there was a good connection between the band and the crowd like everybody on stage in the crowd the whole show hope you guys enjoyed that thank you again to tasker for coming on and Great. joining us and he was wonderful to talk to and i recommend you guys on patreon to go and listen to his horizon profile episode because he did a really nice job and really good experiences too. So very cool. Thank you so much, Tasker. So what they're going to do first to kick this whole thing off, they get rid of the idea of a slow burn opener. There's no release long road. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to rip the bandaid off and it's for the band. It's for the crowd get them going with something big where they can start jumping around where they can start singing at the top of their lungs. And this section that's going to kick off our night is going to be go save you and spin the black circle that all share that same type of identity of just ripper songs that are going to get you going and maybe, maybe make sure you forget where you are for a couple of minutes.
fantastic opener. And it feels like it goes in spurts. Like sometimes they'll use Go as an opener or something, and then you won't see it open for a while, and then they'll come back for a few shows. I think in 2016 it was the last time it really had a little to get open one of those msg shows it did night one yeah and we got the original album intro for that Mm -hmm. too yeah Mm -hmm. and then toronto and bonnaroo so a few times in that little run of shows but yeah i mean if you're trying to stay warm if you're trying to get people moving this is the perfect way to do it you know looking at live footsteps here it's open 44 times which is solid that's more than i would have guessed but there's probably never been a more opportune time to do it than here yeah, for sure. And I think outside of some of the comments that I've seen, I've seen a lot of people say that right from the gate, the first three songs were terrible. Like, you can tell that it was affecting them. They were bothered by it. And I don't know, certain people's perspective can be different, but listening to it on the bootleg, I got no indication, especially these three songs, felt like that. There was one or two songs that maybe later, I think, were a little affected by it, but not anything where you say, whoa, it really got to them. No, I, like, they kept it pretty even keeled the whole entire time. Mike has a great solo on Go, and it stood on its own. Great way to kick things off. Save You maybe starts a little tentatively, but you forget about that when it gets fully kicked in. Ed's got a massive scream at the end, and... It's been reported that he had a couple of cups of tea at this show, and who can blame him? He kind of has a tissue thing going on later in the show, too. So, you know, he's letting his voice hang out when he's not at 100%. I want to see how many shows we can go where we get a sick Ed. (laughs) Because we got two in a row here. I wonder if next week has that. Hopefully not. The flu season run of episodes. <laughs> yeah, Save You, I thought, was, I mean, as, as good as Go is, and it's, like, a great opener. I think Save You was my favorite out of this opening set. Like I said, Ed's Howl is fantastic. And then I think it's Stone at the end who takes the little lead part on at the end of Save You. It's fantastic. This is a fantastic Stone show. This is one I wish we had a video for for a number of reasons. But I'm going to mention Stone many, many times as we talk about this main set and on into the encore. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And then spin the black circle kind of on the tail end of these three. That was getting a lot of play in the early parts of the set in 2003. There's a lot of shows where you'll see something like Corduroy, Brain of Jay, and Spin the Black Circle right near the top. And that's pretty solid if you ask me. So first question, how much does the cold affect the sound of this show? Well, I think it still works pretty well. This is a very solid way to open this. Ed really doesn't talk a whole lot at this show. Like one other time where he does the tissue thing later in the set, but this is going to be the bite from this if you have anything to take away from it. Good evening, Alabama. I don't know if you've heard some of these shows, if not all, are being taped. If anybody gets this CD, if they want to relive this experience... I suggest they get three really big fans, a small chair, an open freezer and refrigerator, and put their feet into a bucket of ice, put some headphones on, and let it rip. If that's how they're feeling on stage, yeah, use it. It feels like that kind of, in a way, maybe motivated them to just (laughs) go for it. I don't know. but In your car right now, turn on the air conditioning on high, and you'll get a feel for it. Yeah, do that in Syracuse. See how much you can withstand it. uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's interesting, and I kind of mentioned this when talking with Tasker, 
that we get even flow daughter better man here. And my thought process seeing like, okay, even flow section is nowhere close to being ready here. Better man. We talked about it at song number 11 last week, which is very uncommon. This is song number six, way more uncommon. I think what they wanted to do to sort of reiterate that point was they wanted to keep the momentum going, keep songs that were going to get the crowd really excited. And Tasker does mention that this was a very hardcore fan club crowd where they're going to like the deeper cuts just as much as they're going to like the singles and the big songs. But that means the singles and the big songs are going to get even more of a reaction than they would on a normal night. So I think it's a smart move by the band to keep everybody invested and engaged. And I guess the best way to keep warm is just to keep moving. So even flow, there's going to be a lot of little, little changes of weather in some songs here. And of course the winner's on his way turns into the winner still stands. Just more proof of, okay, place a timestamp on this show and and that's where they were and a lot of the conversation is that yeah i mean they definitely went out of their way to be crowd friendly here i mean this is almost like a 90s greatest hits main set you've already had go and spin the black circle even flow daughter better man we're going to talk about a bunch more yeah you you go with the sing-alongs to keep everybody going i mean if you come out with rats or pilot or something here you're going to lose people. People are going to be standing around not singing and they're going to get cold. So it's done on purpose. I mean, you're not going to get this run very often of crowd-friendly songs like this. But yeah, it's done here for a purpose. And you finally get to hear them on Better Man. It gets a huge reaction and like they represent the South pretty well. I always like it when the crowds down here give a good showing and they definitely did here. So let's bring even flow into the equation real quick. Cause we're going to get to Javier for this one, but I thought this solo was excellent. I always say that April 2003, even flows are the best that you'll ever get. And it grows gradually. Once you get to the end of the tour, Nassau Coliseum and Buffalo and state college, those versions of even flow are Mike McCready on God mode. And He's very close to that here. I wouldn't call this God mode, but damn, it is excellent in its own right. So little, little things I'm just going to point out and Javier's going to talk about them. He has this like high pitched wail in this that kind of almost has this little jangly sound. And you do hear from the crowd, like he holds it for a little while and kind of keeps it rising and the crowd reacts to that and they cheer that on. And I think that's good for this kind of show that you want to hear their response for things like that it shows that they're invested it shows that their mind is paying attention to the music and not what's around them so let's get more into why this even flow sounds the way it does and the best way to do that is to go to our buddy gear guru time
Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So yeah, it's been a while. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. And I really hope that you spend some time with your loved ones. But like Randy said, let's get back to the rock. So first of all, do, do you guys notice that this like boot had some sort of like weirdy sound? Like we were theorizing about this. And actually, I did found some info about like the resonation or like the vibration of the strings over the top of the guitar. And that might be a cost and an effect when it comes to recording sounds in kind of like a cold environment. So yeah, that's the first thing because they were playing 40 degrees, even though it is not as cold, it might have an influence on the way that the air is moving through the amp because of the vibration of the strings, it's not going right over the top of the instrument, etc. So that's why you hear like kind of like a rain coming in certain songs, which is kind of weird, but I thought that we were mentioned about that. So let's go back to email flow. This is one of my favorite eras of Pearl Jam, 2003 and 2006. I will say that those are my two favorite ones because of the equipment, the sound that they were trying to recreate. Like the first main idea that they had when it comes to like constructing new pedal boards, which is set the foundation for everything that it came afterwards. So it's, it's kind of like a pretty cool, exciting time. So in this time, they were using Fender basement amps both running the same thing. Stone was running like a, like a Marshall head here and there, but Mike was running like ABY 1963 Fender basement amps. And the unique thing about this kind of equipment is you don't have that middle knob. So everything is treble and bass. And if you hear the boot, it's pretty, pretty bassy. And that high pitch sound sometimes is just the combination of the instrument with the amp that is probably right at the edge of breakup and my theory is most likely it's going to be between five and six of that knob for the treble because that's going to create that kind of like high pitchy sound that you hear also the other thing that you got to consider is like the amps are super low drive they're not being very pushed it's like right in the edge of breakup and actually if you hear a few of the solos you can really hear when the boosters they kick in because they really change the tonality and the character of the instrument because it's quite quite present when they're not pushing the amps and they're not pushing the amps also right before the second verse right before the second chorus when mike starts the solos please let's include the filthy fill here for matt Those two hi-hat classic 7-8s rhythm Matt does, they're, they're insane. So yeah, we wanted to kick it off with that this week, and I'll see you guys in a bit. Okay, thank you, Javier. Excellent. We'll see you back for a tremendous version of Black later in the set. Again, even flow is very, very special at this point in their career. So yeah, you're listening to the best of the best yeah. here. And there was like a something Republicans he... It wasn't. I think don't it was. I hate all Republicans. Could have been. It's not. Don't vote Republican. It's something else. Daughter and Better Man are both great on this too. I think there's a good filthy fill for Cameron here. I'm gonna run it right now. I I thought it was excellent.
starts going off on this tag like he's doing a lot of hey 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 he's kind of doing a little bit of that and that's leading over into some other vocal runs that he's doing before getting into androgynous mind like sounding real good and better man again i think it's a great way to cap off these three because that's kind of the crescendo song and like you said the crowd is really invested and really on top of it kind of a folky rock version too and maybe not a big anthemic performance that you would get in a better situation but they were pretty on top of it yeah this version's great and they don't do save it for later but i really like the jam at the end too when you get everybody involved combination here aren't songs that really blend like peanut butter and jelly i suppose because they're completely different species essentially it's not for you in the small town if you're thinking to yourself right now they couldn't have ever done this again right well i wouldn't call this that rare of a combination in this form of playing not for you into small town they've played it 20 times in this arrangement and four times from small town going into not for you. So it's not completely rare. They've busted it out, but it's still, you get not for you, which is kind of a barn burner type song. And then you take it and mellow out with small town and not for you is kind of transitioning at this time. It's not going to be an aggressive song anymore. It's going to have more of a fun vibe to it. There's no call and response in it really. But it's the same kind of version that would have a really good call and response. And they're having fun with it. They've kind of let go of the whole 1995 vibe of Ed just going off and getting furious and angry and tapping into that. And I think this is a a stone one that you might want to mention too, right? Of course, of course. I mean, this version just grooves, I think, and that's all Stone Gossard. And then the Stone solo on this is amazing as well, just super fluid and super melodic, right in Stone's wheelhouse. But yeah, I got that too. Like, you lose the anger, but you gain like a groove and like a vibe, like you said. And like, it's a different version. I think this is unique to this time because later in the year, you know, Sleater Kenny enters the picture and you start getting Modern Girl pop up shortly after this. So these versions are cool. It's an interesting point. But yeah, this is all about Stone Gossard. So Ed would intro a little bit into Small Town and tells everybody this is this one's for you, which when you're thinking about Birmingham, Alabama, and maybe the surrounding towns around Birmingham, rather small, I would assume. I've never been to Alabama, but you have. And there been there more than I'd like to admit. But yeah, he says this one is for you. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yes. That's what happens when you read things. Sometimes you don't 
get the right intonation, but yeah, it's for you. It's good singing on small town and it's very uplifting anthemic and feels like almost in a way driven more by Cameron than stone. Cause when stone drives it, I always feel like it's a little bit more campfirey that they're kind of working off of his strumming pattern, what he's doing. And then when Matt drives it, he kind of takes it to another level where Ed is really able to elevate his voice, where the band kind of has to get pushed and reach his level. And I thought that this was a Cameron song that the version kind of went with the way that he was feeling at the moment. There's different versions of Small Town. Sometimes you do get the folkier version, and sometimes you get these more kind of anthemic, rousing versions. It felt like almost you're at a revival or something. Like this felt like they were trying to just lift everybody up. I mean, Small Town, another big sing along for people. So, yeah, it makes sense that it's right here in the middle of the set. All right, we're getting, <laughs> there's only four Riot Act songs in the set, which yeah. is understandable, but three of the next four are all going to be Riot Act. It's going to be Love Boat Captain in the corduroy and then we're going to get after that you are in the thumbing my way love boat captain is excellent and you think about the conversation that we had before love boat captain new song but keeps you invested and then quickly going back into a song like corduroy that's again going to have you going so they're still thinking about this and the rest of the main set is going to play out in the same way it's smart and I also love in this version of Love Boat Captain, Ed's doing the just one word I still believe. It's love. And then kind of when they're in that little break, he's saying, ever heard of it? And the crowd reacts. He said, I know you have. The crowd reacts with it pretty well. So this version has some passion behind it. And Mike sounds really, really good. The crowd reacts to it really well. Yeah, I love too how at the time it was one of the new songs. But here, like, it fits in with these huge sing-alongs from the 90s. He gets the crowd in on at the end, so lets him take it a little bit, but Corduroy for me is the one from this section. I love this version of Corduroy. It's right at five minutes, which is long for the timing. We have those 95 versions, which can stretch out to six or seven, and then now you have the the modern-day versions, which get to that as well, but this version of Corduroy I thought was unbelievable. The ending is amazing. I think, again, Stone sounds like he's got like a delay. He's running a delay on his guitar and just adding so much like there's so much going on at the little jam and corduroy. I thought this was excellent. Yeah, I noticed that at the end too, where everybody's kind of like Ed is strumming as hard as he can. Jeff's going, Matt's blasting away. Mike is on fire with another solo NBA jam mode. And then Stone on the other side is going, wow, 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 wow. And almost it feels like he's not doing anything, but Javier always says this. It's the things that maybe the less of what you're doing is more of the context and thrown in there. I, I didn't quote him very well, but he says something less, less like that. Less could be more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like that's the, the gist of it. what you're not doing can coincide yeah, with what, something like that. But yeah, this is very, very good. Once you get into the bridge and everything, that's where it takes off. But I thought maybe that Corduroy kind of suffered from a little mid-set, like we're playing all these songs in a row and maybe just didn't quite have a normal Corduroy bike. But that's a very, very little, little thing. So that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme. All right, to the Riot Act songs. You are thumbing my way. 
this is where the tissue thing is going to happen here after you are. So Ed is asking the crowd, he's like, how's your health? I got a Kleenex here if anybody needs it. You know, the whole Kleenex thing, I don't, I've never called this issue a Kleenex before. Really? No, just, I, I feel like that's a Gen X thing. I always call it Kleenex. Yeah, because it's just one of those things where Kleenex was the brand. There's so many brands that are like that. Band-Aid. Yeah. Like nobody calls it an adhesive strip. It's always Band-Aid, but that's the brand name. You don't say uh, making copies, you say Xerox. No, making copies. Uh, maybe it's that Randy the Ranster skip, but yeah. no, they uh, could, could be original thing too. We, maybe we, we call everything Coke. Yeah, that's right. All, yeah, all, all all soft drinks are Coke. I think I might be in Pop Nation now, which yeah. I'm. Mm. There's a good story about a friend of mine down in Florida went to a pizza place and said, "Can I have two slices?" And they gave him. Two cans of slice orange soda. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the New York aspect and what yeah, pieces New it's, it's pieces down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's secondary to all this. This has been America is weird by Live One Four Legs. I mean, we're weird, so it fits. So Ed goes on and wants to play a little game here. Says it would be interesting to say if we take a piece of Kleenex and pass it here to the very, very back. Let's monitor the progress and see how far it's gone. And as he's passing back, he's kind of looking towards the back and people are passing, people are passing. He's like, okay, feeling pretty satisfied by it. So thumbing my way kind of becomes the tissue passing song. I suppose what a freaking weird thing to do at a concert. And it's not, the last weird thing from this show that mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect from a concert, but you got to be thinking like some asshole out there may want to blow his nose and, oh, yeah. and throw it back. Yeah. You Someone's know? not paying attention and gets handed. Oh, thanks. I needed this. And just goes for it. Right. But yeah, I, I thought for sure he was going to change the lyric. I'm, I'm blowing my nose back to heaven. <laughs> I was, I was waiting for it, but I mean, out of all the Bright X songs, you know, we talked about how great Lobo Captain was, but I think Thumbing My Way is the best one from the new record. Listen to what Stone's doing here. It's fantastic. Just driving that thing and anchoring it and giving that perfect vibe to it. Just a fantastic version as well. Yeah, what I took out of this was really interesting. I really like this version. And it's the time period that we're in right now. And I feel like from now until... I don't know, maybe March Madness time is like thumbing my way territory. We're done with holidays. January and February are kind of dreadful weather-wise if you're in the north and deal with snow and just, you know, I think it was 22 out yesterday. It says on my laptop that it's 30 out today, so or at night here. So it's not great, and I mean, it could get worse, but... Yeah, it's kind of one of those that the lyrics of mentioning winter, it kind of gives you a little bit of hope that there is that on the horizon. Like, springtime's ahead. I don't have a lot of things that I'm usually looking forward to in January and February that's like, I'm doing this in these months. These are like just hang out at home kind of times. So days go by a little slower. It does help to have the podcast and be busy with that, of course, but you're always busy with that. 
but you know, not having shows and things like that, it'll get to you, of course. But the lyrics and the song kind of capture how lonely it can be during this time of year where maybe you don't have that. Maybe everything is so far down the road. And the version doesn't constitute any sadness, but again, gives a little bit of that hope for what's ahead and kind of keeps your head up, keeps your chin up a little bit and makes you say, all right, well, we can get through this. We can get through most things. No matter how cold the winter, there's a springtime ahead. I smile, but who am I kidding? I'm just walking the miles Every once in a while I get a ride I'm thumbing my way back to just wanted to bring that up because it's a very relevant song to the period now and i think a lot of people will post that you know no matter how cold winter there's a springtime ahead and everybody relates to it it is kind of across the board one of the very few things that we can all relate to and share is weather so again uh, one of my favorite kind of underrated Pearl Jam songs. Like, I'm so glad they brought it back in Austin last year, and I hope it comes back again. I'd love to hear it someday. Going back to the tissue, Ed asked for the lights, and he wants to see how far this thing went. A little science experiment that he put together. And I'm guessing that he probably has no idea where it went, and he's just kind of laughing. He's like, I need a bigger Kleenex. So... Got through the whole song. If he if he can't see it, I'm guessing it went pretty far back. Sure. I wonder if somebody took that home and was like an obsessive fan, and they have that like hanging in their den. Oh, you gave me like an idea. Pearl I'm Jam like, tissue. I'm gonna start selling Pearl Jam Kleenex on eBay. This is the one from Birmingham 03. I'm gonna like age it a little bit. Uh huh. He gets an idea. I mean, there are all sorts of weird things if you get a hand on them at Pearl Jam. So like. I know the guy that got the ukulele that Ed smashed from St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. You know, what if somebody got a hand? Remember the guy that got his dreads shaved to get Brandon J in Spokane? Like, what if somebody had a piece of that and just, like, kept it as memento? Like, people keep wine bottles, and wine bottles is understandable. That's, like, a cool thing to put in a room and, and has a funny story, but... Well, these little things, like, yeah, they might have some significance, but if you're 20 years down the line and you're moving from place to place, you're probably not keeping a Pearl Jam tissue. That's probably the second thing I'd throw out. But people can be attached. Look, this is coming from somebody that kept confetti from the Rangers winning the Eastern Conference and going to the Stanley Cup. So it keeps some weird shit, too. It's not like it's in a dresser somewhere. It's not like I have it hanging up or anything like that. But 
still weird. Given a fly and wish list, back-to-back yield, and honestly, three or four yield, that's going to end your set. Given a fly starts off a little bit slower than usual, and for some of this, you can kind of hear an echo. frozen a little bit. Yeah, you kind of hear an echo in Ed's voice, and this grows and, and kind of matures and, and really gets to the place where you want it. And I think it does come from Stone. He is a very simple part transitioning into the second verse. don't think I've ever heard that from him before, at least not prominently, where it's like heavy in the mix. Yeah, it's another really, I don't know if it's counter melody specifically, but it complements what Mike and Jeff are doing so well. Like it stands out like, listen, I did the same thing, like I don't know that I've ever heard this before, but I really like it. And I think it, it just adds so much to the texture and the atmosphere of the song. It's unbelievable. So it's just a genius wishlist is going to be your local pandering song so (laughs) yeah he gets a little political at first and it does get a good reaction by saying i wish i was a neutron bomb and i'd refuse to go off it gets a reaction from the deep red crowd the sound of all you alabamians alabamians yeah that that was the thing and it worked because the crowd reacted to it. The full moon shining off your tractor's hood. Okay, that might be getting a little stereotypical right there. Yeah, we're getting a little too far. Now. You made your point. This is the dueling banjo section of the night, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that, but give a shout out to the end of the song too, because the Ebo section sounds great and leads to a little extension where Mike and Stone are kind of playing off each other. And a little of what Stone is doing kind of has that tone of like won't get fooled again where those chords just sort of have that a little bit of that did you notice that yeah like a little bit of the choppiness like playing with the kill switch a little bit toggle effect yeah there's there's all kinds of crazy effects going on at the end of this the ebo sounds like some kind of effect on it yet they all had weird stuff going on at the end of this they had good boards back then javier likes this era so i trust him on this all right last two in the main set animal and do the evolution now they're back into the fast stuff and yeah animal i I go to the end again the solo by mike is just a ripper and it's still going on like i love when he bleeds it into over ed singing and he just keeps going on and like your attention that should be going to ed is drifting over to mike you're like oh well what's mike doing with this like where's he gonna go with this And this one's different because at the end, he's still kind of going and adding a little extra flavor during the one, two, three, four, five against one. And it's weirdly reminding me of another end of Pearl Jam song. And that I can't figure out. I can't figure out which one, but like sort of where the solo kind of takes you to the end and has that little stamp on it. It's not coming to me, but there's something else in their catalog that they've done like that. This one could not be contained. Mike is spilling over the edges on this. And we talked about how good even flow was, but this one might be his most furious one of the night. He's warmed up by this point. 
and just lets loose completely. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, ending with evolution. Now, if you guys have listened to the evolution of evolution, then you would know that a little bit of the storyline that we touched up on when we talked about 2003 was Ed getting into his yips phase of this song, where night in, night out, he could not get this right. Missed lyrics, forgotten lyrics, and sometimes changing it to, oh, well, I don't know the song anymore, or something like that. Or I remember there was one that, like, soon I'll be fired. And it can go in any direction where it could be, I think the 2010 watch it goes to fire was the most popular one where he took that and put that in the second verse where it should have been. I'm a piece on the man and it just gets jumbled up. And then he notices midway is like, ah, and he kind of reacts to it. And I call it the yips. I call it the yips version to do the evolution. You know, he just seemed to be cursed in April of 2003. Yeah, this was the time that all that was going on. I think there was one, like, was it Tampa maybe that was really bad? But this one feels a little better than the ones around it. It feels like he managed to get through it. And this is another one where Stone gets a shout out as well. I mean, for good reason. Stone's having a great show, but this is one of the ones where he kicks over and says, admire this guy, his name's Stone. Yep. And honestly, this is really the first time where I feel like Jeff was in the forefront where I really got to hear the bass line in this bootleg. And maybe it's because I'm always listening for it that it felt more prominent, but weirdly, it's one of my favorite bass lines, and Jeff didn't write. Again, it's Stone. (laughs) So... But it's one of my favorites. I love how it just bounces all over the place. It zags when everybody else is zigging. It's really cool if you listen to it. They do those counter melodies very well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now we're at the encore, so let's pause for station identification and talk about a couple things. Let's thank one new patron for this week, Rocco Paulino. He joined on a gig leg tier, so that means he gets awesome. an episode of his choosing. And he's already requested the episode of his choosing, which we had already put on our schedule anyway. So everybody wins. Everybody wins in this scenario. So thank you, Rocco, for joining on in on that. And we posted something this past weekend. Didn't want to make a big deal of it on this show because we didn't want the conversation to overshadow things. But there was an article that came out last week about how Pearl Jam and the company T-Cert that does their merchandising, how they deal with their poster artists and what the whole idea of them getting paid was. And the article was a little misleading in places, but it did bring it to our attention. And we wanted to clarify things on like actuality of like what they are getting paid instead of what the article kind of insinuates because it really only comes from one angle, but it's an interesting conversation. It's on Patreon right now. We try to come from it at all angles and kind of look at it perspective wise. And a lot of the instant reaction to it was like, Oh my God, 
they're not paying their artists any money, which isn't true. They're giving them posters to sell for more than what they would get in cash. So that is all talked about. I don't want to expand on that much further because again, that's not a conversation I want to take over this episode. I wanted Tasker to get his story in. I want to talk about the cold and talk about Alabama on and on and on, et cetera, et cetera. So it's on Patreon. If you want to listen to that, go right ahead. And the article link should be there as well. Now for other Patreon things, we recorded a brand new late night series episode featuring Saturday night live in 2010, the last to date that they'd done a Saturday night live. And I think in the first portion of the year, you'll be getting the remainder of that late night series that we're going to bring out. There's going to be some Fallon performances from 2011 and 2013. And then we'll kind of, I think it all culminates in getting to the rock and roll hall of fame, which will be our final episode. I think there's at least five left. So if you guys are interested in listening to that and seeing what we have to say about that, those are little things, but still cool to go back on maybe things that people aren't necessarily thinking about when it comes to Pearl Jam Live or anything like that. So if you want to check those out, they are over on Patreon. That episode should be out probably by the end of the week on SNL 2010. So just keep waiting for that. You'll see it in your feed if you got it. And yeah, just another week to just say, hey, if you have a little extra that you want to spot us to help us on our future endeavors, to help us when we go out on tour, to help us with honestly, right now, some of our podcasts paying for our website and things like that, because it was kind of a chunk of change this year. So we can use a little bit of help with that. And again, we have so many people that are helping out and we're grateful for all of that, but all help is possible. And we say it so often, even a dollar a month is going to go a long way, a long way. We have maybe close to 200 people that donate that much. So that all adds up guys. So if you have a dollar to spare and you want to share it with us and donate to what we're doing, then that's the easiest way. Or even if you have $10 that you want to share for a whole entire year, then you won't have to worry about paying every month. Even you'll have to get access for the whole entire year. Won't have to worry about that. But also the giga leg horizon leg tears. Those are the big boys. And I know a lot of you guys came to me in the past and the present and will again in the future and been like, have you done this show? Have you done this show? Have you done this show? And I've refrained from telling people like, oh, well, the only way you'll get the show is if you go on Patreon because it's not very nice to say and you never know what people's situations are. But I can tell you that it will get escalated to the top if you do join on the gig elect here and you do want to request one because everybody seems to want their story to be told. So that maybe is as important to us as it's important to you because, you know, we want to hear from you guys and give you the platform and then be able to get a sense of what we're going to talk about for the show and kind of just like Tasker today did get from his point of view and perspective of what was going on and kind of bring that to our attention. And that helps us look at the show in a completely different manner. We've gotten comments sometimes on, well, if you weren't there, you don't know. Well, it's true. 
So that's why we ask for the help. And that all comes with a little donation, $5 a month or $10 a month if you want to join on that tier and get the profile episode just like Tasker did this week. So again, it's all about your stories. And without your stories, we might be missing a little bit of the overall picture. So that's why we do it, you guys. And if you want to join in on it, it's always available to you. The way you can join is patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or live on four legs.com, the website, and just click the become a patron button at the top. You're in, you're good. That's pretty much all I got to say about that. If we're sitting here, if this is Wednesday and we already got some kind of announcement, then you've probably already heard from us. So if you're looking for any of that in this episode, this was recorded on Friday night, so we don't have that information, but probably if anything did get announced earlier in the week, we have probably took care of that. So yeah, that's all out there. All right, back to the rock now. We only got six songs left. Two encores, but six songs. And a couple really, really good ones here that that have pretty good talking points. So Last Kiss is what they're going to come back with. And I guess because this is kind of what they perceive to be a greatest hits crowd, that Last Kiss is a greatest hit and that they would be into it. And I think it's inevitable, but I literally don't have anything on this version at all. Good or bad. It was fine. It felt like it did the job. Get everybody singing along again, leading up into what's coming next. That's probably why I've just not cared about the song in the past, because it just it's just kind of there. But I'll respect it when I hear a good version, that's for sure. Along with anything. I've said good things about Gotsam on this podcast before. Those Bridge School versions, The Last Kiss, can't beat it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the Cabana versions, as I like to call them, that happened around like 2008, 2009, kind of in a weird way dig those too. So, you know, at least they're different. But yeah. yeah, not much else from Last Kiss. That was probably too much right there. Ed says, I want to introduce you to the guy who's reacting to this cold more than anyone because he's from someplace very warm. We told him it would be a summer tour and he's freezing his Hawaiian ass off in the back. Boom actually gets some big boom chance here, which it didn't really happen early on on this tour. A little bit later when you get to some of the big cities, I think. I always got to kind of go back to Philadelphia and Philadelphia went really crazy for boom. And maybe that's when that started. I, I don't quite have the timetable on that, but they chant for boom and it's just delightful because this is what maybe is 20th show, 25th show or something like that. And they're already attached to him. And how can he not be all the man has to do is smile and jam back there and you're in. Ed calls this a tough crowd and you're surviving along with us. Second coldest show that we've ever played. And that's going to get you into the song with the most warmth at this show. The best performance from this show, in my opinion, is black. And right away, I'm glad that Ed mentioned boom before getting into this because right away, the piano influence here and the sound and the way that it seems like He's hitting those keys hard. Very percussive sound to the piano. 
kind of like the era where Stone is playing that little lighter guitar. And I, I've been told it's not a Gretsch, but I always equate it to the Gretsch sound. All the body guitars and like that, yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's a warm dynamic throughout this whole thing. And yeah, I love this. I got more to say about it, but... What do you got on this? Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement. This is the best performance of the night. The intro, I don't know, again, if taking the encore break, their hands froze a little bit, but the intro is very slow, very deliberate, and that piano just adds so much to it. Again, just gives it that classic sound. Like, I absolutely love this version. And then you get to the solo, like, good God, just one of the best things that they do, period. Like, yeah, this version of Black is amazing, and then... Boom comes back at the end, plays the melody for the, the final time. You get kind of the bookend of the piano there. It sounds amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely go back to this version. Just fantastic. Well, I want to know what Javier's take on it was because he seems to really be fascinated by it. So he's the man and he might have a little something to say. love the song live and I know that right now it's one of John's favorites when it comes to a, a live setting and a live performance something pretty interesting about 2003 the resonator guitar this is a national resonator guitar resonators are pretty pretty unique why because all those little metal cones and all those things that you see in the front actually it's not a design thing those are little spun metal cones that they're placed inside the body to make the guitar louder. So the sound can go through all of those cones and you can get a louder guitar. In this setting, this design was created with the thought process of, well, instruments are getting louder, like now people are using amps with their guitars, and we're talking about like 60 years ago, and they needed an instrument that was gonna be able to compete. The tonality of the metal, and the holes with the vibration of the string make this very, very mellow sound that is absolutely insane. Something that I want to talk to you guys about is how Stone and Mike, they play to create more tension or space to it. It's a very interesting song because even though it doesn't have like a huge complex chord progression, it's insane how with little details, they will be able to maybe make it more intense or maybe let loose and have a little bit more space in between parts or even sometimes like a few seconds of silence and it fits perfectly well. Hint, hint, this is going to be something that we're going to be talking for the Gear Garage episode. So we're going to dig deeper on that concept. But yeah, it's an insane version. Super, super, super nice. And again, it's so interesting to hear how much space and how much tension they create and actually only using three notes in a chord progression that it doesn't change at all except for a D here and there. But yeah, more into it, into the Gear Garage that we're going to be releasing at the end of January. 
All right. Big one. Great performance this night. Thanks, Javier, for making it happen. Good, good, good stuff. Yep. So the tone of this and the way that the song develops, and again, as you mentioned, it's a little bit more methodical. It's a little bit slower paced. Again, maybe some freezing hands or something like that. But they took their time with this one and they kind of put some focus into this, which it works for this version. And once you kind of delve into the big parts and the Ed stuff and then into the Mike stuff, like I'm thinking about what this song is making me feel. And emotion wise, it kind of makes me feel like there's somebody out there that has lost a loved one and is still holding on to that pain. And I got the weird image of like a widow on a lighthouse. And I feel like that's sort of a stereotypical kind of thing, but it it, it seemed to work for this scenario that a widow on a lighthouse looking towards the sea, waiting for somebody to come home. And that was the emotion that Mike was putting you through. I came from a place of love through sorrow and it aches a little bit. You can feel that pain. It's almost like this version kind of gives you the sense. It's like you can't move on, but you have to. And it kind of gets you in the place where at the end, you finally said to yourself, okay, I'll make an effort at this. If any of that makes sense to anybody, then I applaud you for listening and giving me the time of day here. But yeah, this one hits different. And at the end, I don't know if you noticed this, but it feels like someone, and probably Ed, on mic, kind of like off mic, on mic, kind of says marvelous. I don't know if you caught that. No. Yeah. That's the power of the song. I mean, they can bring up those kind of emotions in you just from listening yet. Again, I've said it before, like, it's their best live song right now. And it has been like that for a long time. All right. Alive is going to finish off this section. And I feel like it was a coming together with the crowd. I love the part where, is there something wrong? She said, of course there is. Jesus. And he's getting into it, the us, you, you're still alive. Them knowing the situation, the crowd knowing the situation, and them going through the whole thing together and it being a celebration of the moment. That is the perfect kind of alive. It also has a little bit of the idea of, hey, we kind of conquered this night too, a bonding moment between crowd and band. And that's what alive should do to you every single night. Bond you guys together and make an imprint on you that, this was what our night was. Yeah, it felt like this was them starting the celebration a little bit early. Like, instead of saving a live, let's do it here. Give these people something who have waited out here in the cold, sang along with us, gone through this ride, been a part of the show, passed Kleenexes back and forth. This felt like, let's treat for them. Like, let's do this here, have it be the celebration, and then we'll come back and have some fun after that. Mike tags a little voodoo child at the end of that, and... That'll set you up nicely for Encore 2. So here, Ed kind of says, you got the guts, we got the action, and they're going to go into two covers before getting into Ledbetter and something else that we'll spend a little time on. But Soldier of Love, it had been a year and a half since they played it. I believe that's Bridge School in 2001 was the last time before this one. 
And you can hear Jeff sort of noodling around with it in the beginning and trying to figure it out on the fly. But they get into it and right from the top, first take, they can't quite seem to get on top of it. So it needs to take two. And take two, we're in, we're good, and they're on it. But here's an observation that I think I might have had. Did you catch a little crowd singing in this, like emphatic crowd singing? Yeah. Every time that he does the lay down your arms, you can hear the crowd on top of that. I don't think I've ever heard that out of the song before. When you get to the end, he stops and they do the little cha-cha-cha at the end. Like, right. they, they kept it going. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, cool vert and underrated cover. Just throw sure. that out there. Underrated sure. cover. So Should have been the bigger hit. Right. You did get both of them from this yeah. show, So, which is interesting. I wonder how much they did that after 1998. Probably not a whole lot because Soldier of Love. This was the 17th out of 22nd version of Soldier of Love. So... Yeah, probably not many. Leaving here is going to follow up on that. Also gets to a bit of a murky start. They hadn't played that one. Yeah. Fucking train wreck. Yeah. (laughs) And played in about seven months. I guess it's a little less of an excuse, but cuts of the solo section. I think it's Jeff, Ed, Boom, Mike. Boom being in on, on solo. And, And Boom's very audible in this in general, which is real, a lot of fun. I love Boom getting in the rotation there. For sure. But it's just kind of, it's fun. Doesn't matter if it's a train wreck or not before saying goodbye. It's a crowd favorite. Just good stuff setting you up for Ledbetter. So this is where things get interesting. Let's start with the song. Ed, in this era, as many of you know, he was prone to changing lyrics to fit what was going on in the world and the Iraq war. And a lot of the times the big lyric change that you'd hear is, I don't know whether he's coming home in a box or a bag. And there's little things. I think it's usually improv on the spot where he's thinking about it. Along with some of that here, it turns into, and of course the last song of the night has to be a reference to the weather. So he references the cold by saying it was almost awkward. He's like, We all got to leave sometimes. I don't know what he was going for there. And then near the end, he does a little like too cold to stay. So it's a theme. You did it in wish list and you mentioned it every time you had to talk. So I think when he talked before black, he said something like, oh, we don't have many left. And it seemed like the plan was this is only a 22 song set, which is quite low for the era. An hour 45 around. And I think they kind of said, like, we're just going to cut it off at some point. So yeah, I think Jeremy was supposed to be after Last Kiss and ended up getting cut. So it would have been another sing along there. Then that's another six minutes. He got to be on stage. So exactly fun. Just hearing some of those little nuggets thrown in. And then we get to the tag and Mike, you know, he did this. I don't remember. I think it might have been like a little bit while they messed up on soldier of love where Mike did this, he did like a little bit of the dun, 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 and just like for two seconds, I don't even know if he finished it, but 
but mm. barely does it in the tag here. It's just like a very slight tease. Just yeah, like a it cuts, da, it da, da, da. cuts it off real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of with that, you know, you, you sort of think like, mm, is that a tease? Like, could they go back to it? Because they're still on stage, still have their equipment on. So are they going to finish the show with Sweet Home Alabama? No, they can't do that. And why do they still have their equipment on during the end of Ledbetter? That's weird. It's usually Mike is out there doing things on his own and everybody drops everything and then goes for a bow at the end, waves goodbye. But no, everyone's still out there. So what's going on? The crowd thinks that there will be one more song. But as history goes, as we know of it to be called, it wasn't a song. It was one note. And then they walk off into the distance without saying goodbye. The debut of one note, if you will. I don't I even do know wanna, if I will. I, I do want to quote Five Horizons here. It says, at some point during Yellow Better, Stone talks to Jeff, who begins laughing, and Stone is hysterical. Stone then talks to the Tex, and the rest of the band still laughing. As Yellow Better concludes, and talks about Sweet Alabama, and the band remains on stage with Matt stretching, and the band appear to be discussing the next song to play. They take their spots, there's some feedback off Mike's guitar, Four clicks from Matt and a single loud chord, and the band quickly waves goodbye and exits the stage, much to the dismay of the crowd. So there's a couple of things here. I wonder if Stone went over and talked to Jeff, and they were talking about Sweet Home Alabama. But then it feels like maybe Jeff talked to Mike and like, hey, maybe do this. I know you can pull it off. Maybe they thought that would be, but then why would he go talk to the techs about it? That's strange. I wonder if they had something planned. Or maybe he's doing, like, let's just come out and play one note and be done. Because it's fucking cold. But if you're in this crowd, after Ledbetter, they definitely build it up. Like, there's still a build-up on stage. Like they mentioned, you see Matt kind of stretching. Like, okay, I'm getting ready to play a song. There's the feedbacks coming off. You're like, okay, we're going to get maybe an indifference or maybe a Baba O'Reilly rocking the free world. And then, before you even can finish that thought, boom, it's over. And you hear some like the, like, wait, what? No, there's some confusion and anger in the crowd, and I get it because they'd never done anything like this before. There's never been like a tease like this in the show that wasn't paid off. And I get it, but it kind of became more of a thing in Mansfield. But this one is strange. Yeah, and I get what the joke could have been if they decided to turn it into something. It probably would have happened within the set. And if. Ed came out and said, oh, we got to go through this real quick tonight. Some of these songs might last one second. There you go. That's all the lead in you need and everybody gets it. And then in Mansfield, right before doing it, he's like, oh, we've done every song. Let's just do. And I think like he goes or something like that. And that's it. And then they end up. If we had said all, then we could have called it a Descendants cover. Hey, that's what I said on the Mansfield episode. Yeah, Stop right. stealing my line. Well, whatever. Yeah. I, was a, I was a Dissonance fan when you were a baby. No, all. <laughs> yeah, no explanation. And Ledbetter was 
a lot of fun and spirited. Like after a show where, again, going back to a live, it's like, yes, we did it. We all did it together. This was a night for all of us. And under the circumstances from the ticket fiasco to moving venues to now playing in one of the worst weather condition shows that we've ever done to this point, like it almost is a slap in the face. I won't say that it is, but it's almost. Would you have been upset if you were there? Would you have left mad? I would have left confused. Yeah. Knowing me, I would have gone full. Oh God. What's the thing from always sunny where he's like trying to find the person. If they work at the, the place where they're working and it's a conspiracy thing where he's like, this person does not exist. Like I would have been all over that with like trying to figure out what the hell from early in the set could have led to that and all that. I would have just been, Racking my brain the whole ride home, figuring that out. I wouldn't have been mad, but I I would have wanted to break the code. And it seems like there wasn't really a code to be broken here. So it's unfortunate. And that's just the way it happened. One of the weirdest in their catalog. And that's how the story goes. So we have now made it to the end as awkward as that last note was. And now we can pick a couple of songs that we really like the performances of from this show and go back to them a little bit. So I'm going to go number three. I like thumbing my way. I'm going to go three thumbing my way. I'm going to go two even flow. I was really, really into the solo on even flow. I know that you mentioned that animal Two had a great solo and I fully agree, but even flow kind of caught my eye on this. And number one is black. Easy, easy, easy. Don't have to think twice about that. Yeah, I'm with you. That's good. My number three is going to be better man. My number two is corduroy and yeah, my number one's black hands down. Easy. Don't have to think about it. Don't have to worry about it. Now, we got to think of a rating for this. So I had fun listening to it. I had fun trying to decipher little things of like, Hey, is this affecting them? Trying to figure out by not watching it, like what the surroundings were like and seeing if some of the details that you got from, again, the boards and people that were unhappy, of course they speak the loudest sometimes, see if their opinion rang true. And their opinion did not ring true on this. I did not agree with what they had to say about the first three songs, that everybody was kind of pissed and cranky about being played in the cold. I think that this one had good energy for the situation that it was in. The one little thing that I'll say about it that is a small critique is that outside of the cold, it doesn't really have a big overarching thing. Black is a terrific performance, but I think the show is more about the situation instead of the set list. Even when one note gets brought up, I think everybody thinks of Mansfield anyway when one note gets brought up. So I don't know, that doesn't ruin my feelings about the show at all, but I think it prevents it from getting into the nine zone. So I will gladly put the show at an eight and a half. Yeah, that seems about the right spot. Like, this is not a set list for deep cuts. It doesn't have a super rare song that got pulled out. But 
it does have some really great performances in a situation that could have gone south. Like we talked about that with Ice Bowl too. Like you have to give them credit for making the best of not a bad situation, but like an unusual situation for them. These are unique circumstances that the show has played in. Like we talked about, they usually go out of their way to avoid this kind of weather when they're playing, especially outside. And it, yeah, bad luck that the indoor venue didn't work out and had to move it outside. But I'm so close to giving this one a nine. Like that version of Black, absolutely love. Talked about it. Even your two, like even Flow and Thumbing My Way, which you've been your top three, could have gone with those easily. The one note thing it has, like, the, the stories are good. The Kleenex story is good. The open the refrigerator and let it rip story is fun. But yeah, I think I'm right there at an eight and a half, too. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good right there. I know a couple of our close knit circle of people were really excited about us covering this show. And I get the excitement for it. I totally get the excitement for it, and I hope that we brought a little bit of clarity into what this show was and some of the stories surrounding it. That's all we can ask for there. Okay, so that's the end of that chapter. Now, next week, we're going to go back-to-back weeks and do 2006 shows. I will say this. I feel like we have shortchanged 2006 in the past a little bit for as many shows that were on that tour. I don't think we've really dug into the minutiae of it at all. We've done some great shows, but like we're going to do a show from Prague 2006 next week. Like that's a deep cut right there. That's a real deep cut. And that's another patron request from our patron, Brian Smith. So we're going to look at that one. I know nothing about the show as it stands right now. Not even the opener hey, or the set list. MFC opener. How about that? Well, now I know something about this show and I'm intrigued. Yep. So, yeah, right off the bat, I am looking forward to doing more 2006. I think I have this overarching idea of they just kind of did the same manufactured set in the beginning that it was like, oh, you're getting life wasted and worldwide suicide and severed hand all at the top. And that's probably why I wouldn't do a lot of coverage in 2006, but like I'm getting over that now. We can figure that out. Like, we got to do some more from this era. I know a lot of you want it. So two straight weeks. And if you are into this show, if you've listened to the show, then uh, hopefully it's a treat for you. So that will be our episode now. As I mentioned every week, I hope you guys are all subscribed. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform of your choosing, then make sure you are subscribed. And also, if the podcast platform of your choosing gives you an option to rate then feel free to rate the show. We like the five-star ratings because it does help boost our confidence and our visibility as well. So that all helps. And again, if you're listening to this and you've listened to more episodes and if you come back a couple of times, then I I guess you guys like it. So if you want to do us a solid, we do a lot of good research here. I like to say that we deserve it, so that'll be up to your discretion, but we would love a five-star rating from you guys. And if you want to go further, if you're on Apple and leave a comment, the comment's not for us. The comment is for the next person that wants to go and find a Pearl Jam podcast and just letting them know what you can get from listening to this. And everybody kind of goes through when you're looking for a podcast, you just want to know like what do people think and what are people into and 
yeah, if you like your memories being shared of shows that you've been to in the past, then uh, that's what we do. And hopefully, you know, when this tour comes around this year, it always seems to be that more people find out about this around tour time and we'll just take advantage of that and we'll keep telling and sharing those memories. So that's it on that point. All right, let's end this show properly. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, 